the most expensive idea almost never makes the movie. The most expensive idea is usually just this way to make everybody bored while they're waiting for it to get set up. And when they're bored, they do something hilarious. Hello, and welcome back to The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America. In today's episode, the original Jackass crew return after 11 years to push the envelope with another round of hilarious and absurd displays of comedy in director Jeff Tremaine's comedic documentary, Jackass Forever. In addition to Jackass Forever, Mr. Tremaine's directorial credits include the feature films The Dirt, Jackass Presents Bad Grandpa, Jackass 3D, the series Jackass 3.5, and episodes of ESPN 30 for 30. Following a recent screening of the film at the DGA Theater in Los Angeles, Mr. Tremaine shares insight into the making of Jackass Forever with director Spike Jones. Listen on for their spoiler-filled conversation. All right, thank you all for coming tonight. This is our first movie that we've screened at the DGA, and I don't know why it took so long. It's a well, I wasn't in the DJ on the first one. Oh, yeah, that's, so. that's fair. But still, there's right. number two. There's two, three, three. Bad Grandpa. Yeah. Jeff, this Jeff, this is your sixth movie you directed. Is that right? I was trying to count. Right. Three Jackass movies, Bad Grandpa. In the Dirt, yeah. No, four, ba- four Jackass movies, Bad Grandpa in the Dirt, six. Six, yeah. Yeah, so Jeff and I have actually known each other s- since I was in the eighth grade. We... Uh, we went to the same, I worked at this BMX shop and he'd work at in the summer when there were shows and we met and he was, he was like the local BMX legend, uh, with a torker. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, so anyways, yeah, we've known each other forever and, um, worked on magazines together and created Jackass with Johnny. Yeah, Spike, I graduated and we went to high school together for my senior year, sophomore year. And, and Jeff then, was the only one with a car. And he, yeah. And I went off to college and then Spike moved straight out of high school to California. So right when I graduated college, he was already working at the BMX magazine. And he got me, got me a job there. So I graduated and then we worked together. And then uh, we also worked at uh, Big Brother. I worked at the Escape magazine. We, it was just started by Rocco and then Jeff took it over and made it into this insane thing that was basically the predecessor to Jackass. And when he in Knoxville had the idea to, <clears throat> to take that stuff that we were all doing in skate videos and putting it into a TV show. They came to me and uh, we, we did the first show together. And Jeff beca- Jeff basically was the director from the beginning. And sometimes I would direct stuff, but it was kind of just in, it was very fluid at the beginning on the TV show. But then on the movie, Jeff really became the director in an official way. And because, and, and, but describe what directing <laughs> Directing means. is a really loose term for this. Like. <laughs> describe your process. <laughs> I mean, some of it's bullying. I hate to admit it, but there is some bullying that goes on. One of the one of the, his his duties is to talk the guys into doing these things, <clears throat> and um, they all want the footage. But then, when they're face to face with whatever it is, they don't always want the footage, right? And sometimes they really don't want the footage. And what's what are you? What's your? But t- everyone is on board to make the best movie. Possible, so, can you so. tell us how you talk to your actors? Well, it, it's it's different with each guy, you know, like. I've got to sweet talk some of them and walk, you know, do a little private walk and just say, you know, like I've, I totally betrayed Wee Man in this one, actually. Like, oh, which, which bit? <laughs> it, it didn't even make the, the cut, but like I was, uh, we had just done the bungee, 
the triple wedgie thing. And so he was all banged up. And he, um, I was, did you see this, this, when he, the breakaway stairs towards the end where the guy's walking with the milkshakes and he falls through the breakaway stairs. We got, tried to get everybody with that, but we just couldn't somehow manage to build stairs that broke. <laughs> like, so I, I Eric's asked, one is really funny though. That turned out great. Right. So, but the first, but we did everybody. Like we did everybody. We did, you see Machine Gun Kelly in that outfit. His stairs didn't break. Like we, man, I was convinced like, hey man, I, I just want you to come out and come on the next shoot. We're going to, I want you to be Porky Pig for the next shoot, which means he's going to be naked just with a light blue blazer, a little bow tie. And he's going to just be at the shoot. He's like, nah, man, I'm kind of banged up. I don't really feel like doing that. I'm like, dude, I promise you there's no stunt. You just have to go in the trailer and come out as Porky Pig. And we're just going to shoot the little bit over here and so he comes out as porky pig and he's just standing on the steps and they just won't fucking break so and he just looked at me just pissed like it's like full-on betrayal you know yeah. like because i had i promised him we weren't gonna do anything and then, <laughs> that's your job so. though the uh yeah, what, what what maybe just yeah talk about the process of making these movies because they are very yeah specific. well you know there's different aspects of so it's setting up these scary stunts and, you know, we'll try to make them as survivable as possible, but they are real. Everything's real. So we work with sometimes a stunt coordinator. Sometimes we just wing it. <laughs> at the beginning, we definitely uh, winged it. It was At like, the beginning, we winged that it. Was, yeah. I'm so, I've, I've, learned, I've learned a lot about gravity and how it truly works. I, I'm pretty good at guessing. Now. You're a physicist, maybe. I mean, I, I have a pretty good guess. that The guy's going to land here. And I'm usually within 10 feet. Um, but and part of it's also like setting up these elaborate ruses and getting everybody on board with like you saw the um, Silence of the Lambs thing here that was difficult because the guys know we're trying to get them so we have to really the whole unit has to be on board the whole the unit that like I think Joe Osborne's here Joe Osborne is the first AD is, on is Joe team. here? yeah there's Joe our first AD where is he? stand up Joe Joe has one of the harder jobs on the set. To Joe's the guy who slammed the door on everybody and shut the lights off. And Joe's actually very trustable without truly being trustable, but he's got this really nice way about him and they listen to Joe. And so he would lead them in there and then quickly we had to, you know, so the way we did it is we brought them in, we showed them a rattlesnake and then they had to go change and get mic'd. And then we brought them in first. And as soon as they got in there, we just ditched and shut the lights off, you know. So they didn't have time to. You see you see Aaron starting to smell a rat, right? You see him say, like, why are we the only ones in here? <laughs> and boom, like it's on, you know. And then there's, it just doesn't matter. So a lot of that is, like, setting the cameras where we think it's all going to happen and making sure that. And there is a kind of, there's a narrative to each bit. And then because there's a narrative, like, a sort of series of things. So was, we, when, we, when we set something up, we always, like, Let's let's see how far we can take this. Yeah. Let's let's add another room to it. Or this we we always just keep going further and that requires a lot more cameras and a lot right. more camera yeah. placement. When we added that second room, which was truly the hell room. The first room was mostly psychological. There wasn't that much real pain. The second room was just pure hell. Like, and then you threw the soccer ball thing at the, in the hallway. <laughs> we, were, we were lined up in the soccer ball. We didn't even actually even have a camera covering the launch of it. So it was just you see it fly into frame. Good. Yeah, but there it is. And we also think, you know, when we're writing these bits, it's like, what is the essence of this bit? We need to capture that. You know, like it's really not always 
about the dump it. It's about the reactions and the. What about it? And we also shoot a lot. We shoot, we always, I think on our first movie, that was the difference between the TV show and the movie. The TV show, we kind of had to use everything we shot on the movie. We're like, let's shoot twice what we need. So we get like four hours of footage and we can cut it down to the best. Yeah, we stuff. never know what's going to – like honestly, you, you can write the best idea. We, the most expensive idea almost never makes the movie. The most expensive idea is usually just this way to make everybody bored while they're waiting for it to get set up. And when they're bored, they do something hilarious and spontaneous. And that's usually – like, <laughs> Talk about the, on the first movie what our big ender was going to be. The big ender was that we designed this huge Rube Goldberg thing where each guy got wrecked into the next guy. It launched chain chain reaction and it took and spent a lot on spent a lot you know, for us it was a lot of money i think it was about 70 grand or something but it, it, for us that was like preposterously expensive and then all we ended up using was wee man kicking himself in the head and rip taylor and rip taylor at the end so um um so so you've done now two narrative movies the movie bad grandpa that we did which was a hidden camera narrative movie which had its own whole complexities because it was for those who hadn't seen it it was hidden camera, uh, but a narrative. It was a story right. about a, a grandpa and a little boy. And Yeah, we wrote a whole story out, and then we made sure that every bit of storytelling has to be in front of a person that doesn't know what the hell's going on. The idea was, like, can we make a whole movie where most of the people don't know they're in a movie? And uh, what, that, what was that process? Because that was a whole other thing. That was a long process because we started probably before we should have. We didn't fully think it out or understand what we were making. So we started shooting just these funny pranks, but that didn't truly add up to much or have the storytelling built into it enough. So then we stopped down and really wrote out the story and then got really intense on how to, all right, we're telling the story, but how do we make the public help tell the story make them actually say what's happening? And, and, what and was, so got, what, was, what, what were some of your favorite bits in that? Well, the funeral scene, like, how do you, how do you get a whole, uh, how do you fill a funeral for a person that didn't exist, right? And they're there and believing it exists. So we, and then have somebody knock the coffin and then over we, and then the body we turn out. it upside down and make it crazy. But like, to start off, how do you just? So like, we had these producers out there. Like, first we hired a choir, a, a Baptist choir. So it was like. That put 20 people and they got there early and said, hey, listen, we're, we're doing the funeral. Do you mind just sitting there? A lot of their friends are dead and didn't show up. Do you mind just sitting there and going through the funeral? And then you're going to come up and sing. And so <laughs> that filled up a bunch. And then we went, they're like, how do we get more people? Um, we made this lie up that she loved cats. So we got went to a cat loving society and got these people who love cats and said, this woman loved cats and she died and she didn't have any friends. Do you guys mind coming? And so we filled up, and they were holding little, no, there was a ferret loving society. They, and they had a little stuffed ferret that they were holding in the back. And, the, and we shot it three times. So there's three different sets of audience and we just cut to the best reactions. And we marks, just, we call them. We call them marks. And so we're intercutting. So in the same seat, you'll see three different people. You just don't notice because it's like, that's the way you got to do these movies. The uh, yeah, and so and then you ended up producing another film that was a similar style with the Eric Andre. Last yeah, it's year. called Bad Trip. It came out on Netflix. And so uh, now, do you kind of know how to do that kind of movie more? Those movies are really hard. Like having done a, a full scripted narrative, which is hard too, because yeah, you know, just it's a lot of preparation. You know, you, you got to get the script to work. You got, but it's much more controlled. 
you know, so at least you know what you're going to get. Yeah, but you don't always get it. You don't like, always get you don't it. Get a good reaction, or right? Right. But happen. it's still like at least you know where all of that's going to happen. Whether you get the best performance, you know it's going to happen here. Versus these movies, man, they just scramble all over. You got to have coverage, and and you don't control the light very well because they're happening in real practical locations, and you can't overlight it because then people sniff it out, right? So <clears throat> the. Uh, and then, and uh, and then, most recently, before this, you did the Dirt, which was your first truly, fully, mm-hmm. traditionally narrative film. Which and what, how did that? How did how did that compare to the other stuff? And how were you prepared for it? Or what? What new did you have to? Well, learn I don't to know do how. I mean, I, I think I was prepared just by, especially uh, Bad Grandpa, and then we were doing. We were in the middle of Bad Trip, and then I left to go do the Dirt, and I'd done a lot of smaller narrative work and like um, some commercials and just slowly built up how to tell a story. <laughs> so, uh, but it was, that was hard. Like for me, I, I didn't go to film school and I, but for me, it was just make sure I hired the best DP I can get. Just, I just hired smarter people than me all the way around. So, yeah. and you know how to life. run a set. I know how to run a set. Yeah. And I know how to connect with the actors and yeah, get the performance. So that came a little natural. For those who haven't seen it, it's a, the, the the dirt is based on the Motley Crue autobiography, which is in, insane. And uh, the uh, do we have any questions from our guild members here? It's a really complicated movie that you just saw. I understand. <laughs> yes. Here. Yeah. Uh, like for me, it's just bringing. It's all one big family. Like so. Uh, yeah, Jeff- I did a show with Tyler, the creator. That's where we found Jasper. We did a show called Lawyer Squad. So that was real natural. He fit right in. Um, Rob Deerdick, obviously, I, I've done three shows with Rob. I did Robin Big and then Fantasy Factory and now Ridiculousness we do together. Um, Machine Gun Kelly plays Tommy Lee in the dirt. So he was a natural to come on board. Um, who else? Is Eric Andre. Eric Andre. I just, and uh, it was so funny because. Uh, Knoxville didn't know Eric Andre. So he's like, well, should we take it easy on him? I'm like, no, kill him. Kill his mother. And that's like, when he comes in, we're going to get him. <laughs> he's always gets everybody else. So yeah. It's, so, uh, he wouldn't want us to punch him with kid gloves, you know? So, um, anybody else? Yes. Over here. Not cause the guys, there is one and I'm not going to give it away because we might someday do it. There's a plastic surgery one. And, I have a willing cast member. It just was a real pain for insurance and all. Is the, the willing whole, cast all member. the boring stuff kept it, it from happening? Jeff, is your willing cast member Steve-O? No, not on that one. No, it's Dave England. Oh wow! So, and I had Preston. We we. I'll tell you the one we almost did in this one. I'm mad that we didn't do. We had a bit. It was called the Monte Cristo, and we were gonna. We found a plastic. This is uh, way back. This is like on number two, I think. We were going to do it in India. We found a plastic surgeon that was willing to do it. Preston was going to get a bunch of liposuction. And then we were going to cook a ham and cheese, deep fry ham and cheese sandwich in his own fat. And then he was going to eat it to gain his body fat back. And we called it the Monte Cristo. So we were all set. We were in India. We've got the doctor lined up. And then the doctor got cold feet. Right, right as we were there, and we're just come on, and it's it's gonna be fine. It's just lipo, you know. Just throw it in the thing, give it to us, and we'll walk away. You don't have to be there when you eat the sandwich. It's like, and uh, anyway, it never happened. Uh, 
And yes, here. Yeah, he's he's asking about the new cast that we brought on. So yeah, it's like um, we cast a broad net, and then we quickly realized <clears throat> there's a lot of people in our orbit already that make more sense than to go. Because we, we, so a lot of our friends, uh, Trip Taylor had worked with Poopies, and I had almost worked with him uh, with a surfer guy who was um, doing the. It was called the Job Jamie O'Brien Show, and Poopies is so funny on that. He's just so gung ho and so Spicoli uh, about, it. and so he was a natural. Uh, Jasper, I'd already worked with um, Eric Menaka had already done a movie with Knoxville, so he was a, a no brainer. Um, Zach uh, had his show with Van Toffler, who was the president of MTV, who uh, we, we, I was just well aware of what Zach was up to. He's been on ridiculousness a bunch of times. So those guys all were kind of already in our orbit and would require less, what would you call it? Team building, like to just yeah, get man. them right in and get going. You know, these guys knew our world and were ready to go. Uh, Rachel was the, the most outside of our box. Um, and she was, uh, Knoxville just, thought her Instagram was hilarious and said, we just watched a bunch of funny stuff and we just brought her in. We were doing it. So when we did this movie, Knoxville came to me. He's like, I'm ready to do another movie. I'm like, Holy serious. Like I was not psyched at first. I was like, all right, all right, let's do it. But this is, it had been 10 years since we did the last Jackass movie. And so we brought the idea that he convinced me he had a bunch of ideas. And then I started thinking, all right, yeah, man, I got some ideas. So let's do this. And then, so we came to you and you're like, I don't know, dude, it's, you were the most reluctant about doing it. So like, so the solution became, I was just worried about like, are we, is it still funny? for? Is it funny to kick a gray haired guy in the, that's what it boils down to. Is it still funny? We're all middle-aged and. Is it going to feel sweaty? Yeah. That was your quote. So we, we were yeah, we got money from Paramount to do two days just to test it out and bring in a bunch of the new crew. And, and, and yeah, so we did a two day test shoot. And a lot of it ended like it was instant, it, instantly obvious that oh my god, the energy and the spirit is there. Like it's funny because you'll see we we shot those two days and then we got five days in before COVID shut the whole movie down. And so you'll see and it and there's no we just it's all modular, right? When you make a jackass movie, you just pick the stuff that works together. And, it's kind of like a track listing on an yeah. album. You're kind of moving stuff. You around. move stuff around. And, but there was a big difference between the pre COVID stuff and the post COVID stuff. Cause Knoxville let his hair go natural. He couldn't find a hairdresser to dye his hair during COVID. And then he decided, Oh, I look cool as a silver Fox. So I'm just going to stick with it. Yeah, I remember he, he texted us photos. What do you think? Is this okay? And, like, yeah. oh. and you were cool with it. I'm like, I don't, I mean, it looks cool, but it's kind of be weird going black hair, white hair, black hair, white hair. So all the black haired stuff is the pre COVID stuff it's in it. It just cuts back, but you, you kind of lose sight of it, I think, but yeah, well, his continuity <clears throat> isn't what you're watching. Continuity this movie has for. never been my strong suit. So um, you're the one that told me continuity doesn't matter for shit. No, I read a book that said uh, that. Well, you've, you've told me that. And then you told me all the times that you threw it out the window. So it's true. That's true. The, um, Oh, Van Toffler made me think about all the executives we've worked with. Um, and uh, being an executive probably is pretty hard to work with uh, with this production. <laughs> but Van Toffler in particular, who was the president of MTV, um, maybe tell him some – Tell why don't you talk about some of the stuff that was done to Van Toffler when well, he was trying to wrangle. you guys met him in New York and the show was the most popular it's ever been. 
but Van was totally unaware that we were being killed on the show because it's a long story, but I'll tell it quick. Like, um, so we were making a TV show for MTV. Jackass was a TV show and, um, it was going great. And then a couple kids in Connecticut imitated it, got hurt. And it was an election year and Senator Joe Lieberman decided to make it his point that Hollywood is bad for kids. And this is the show that's ruining America. And like, just came down hard on MTV. And so MTV got a little nervous about all this political pressure. And so their solution and we were we were just starting the season three. We we did two seasons, eight episodes each, and we were starting our next series of eight episodes. This is only like six months <clears throat> in. We've only it's been yeah. We've only been shooting yeah. for six months or whatever, and it was going great. And then they decide you have to have an OSHA rep with you. You got everything has to be passed through this OSHA rep before you shoot it. And I'm like an OSHA rep. Like, so we can't jump off a ladder higher than three feet because you're going to get hurt. Like OSHA reps are designed to keep factories safe and workplaces safe. And we're designed to make workplaces unsafe, right? So <laughs> it doesn't work. And one, one particular thing, we, we, we spontaneously shot this bit called The Vomit where Dave England came up. We, we were in Florida and we were going to shoot. And the thing we were going to shoot fell through. So Dave's like, hey, I've got an idea. I just want to um, get all the ingredients of an omelet. I'm going to mix it all up, cook, uh, cook it. You know, I'm going to mix it all up, drink all the ingredients raw, vomit it back into the plate, and then we're going to cook it and then feed it to – and so we're like, that's a great idea. We have nothing to – so it was a rainy day idea. This was one of the first it. ones that really almost made me throw it. <laughs> it was bad, but it was really funny. And so we shot it. Uh, it was funny to me. Uh, we shot it, and uh, and I had it all edited, ready to go, and then uh, MTV's – OSHA guy's like, well, was this cooked at 180 degrees? I'm like, it's cooked. I think so. But he's like, you have to prove it or you can't use it. I'm like, so they, they shut it down. They weren't going to let that go. I'm like, well, fuck you then. We're going to shoot it again and we're going to put a thermometer in there. And you're going to see, like, but it was like doing just for spite. Like, I was, it was like we have um, Knoxville in the background in a full hazmat suit just to be dicks about the whole thing. And then uh, we shot it. It was funny, but it wasn't as funny as the first one. And they were making it really unfun. They were killing the spirit of the show. And so basically Knoxville was quitting. And you and Knoxville were in New York. And when you told Van that we quit, and Van didn't even know that there was problems. And so Van was like, wait, what the fuck are you talking about? You quit. And that's kind of what sprung board the idea to do the movie. Right, right. Well, what I was thinking about with Van Toffer was that, that's right when we got, were starting to get to know him and he was like, I didn't know you guys were unhappy. And right. he, you know, he made, made us, uh, made it really fun and easy for us to make the movie. And we did it outside of Paramount. MVP. Are you talking about the horse? I was talking about that. Okay. Talking about. <laughs> so Van wants to, oh, there's a couple of times. So uh, Van, after the first movie, uh, wanted to come celebrate. He invited us out to this fancy restaurant. It was me, Spike and Johnny Knoxville. And, uh, we're, having a great time, very expensive meal. We made sure we made it really expensive. And then, so it was all piled up in, in Knoxville's like, Van, I learned this magic trick. You got to see it. And he's like, what are you going to do, dude? And he just grabbed the tablecloth and yanked it. And it didn't work. It took everything off and launched it all onto the table next to it. And it was a whole, show and you and I ran over and I think Rick Rubin was it we just ran and hid with Rick Rubin we pretended we weren't with them in the back <laughs> so, 
And then Van Tyler just became, for some reason, a funny name for Knoxville to start to. Van, so there, we lived up Beachwood and there was this apartment complex that had this big silhouette of a horse. Spray, it was like a ni- nice new apartment that had this big black silhouette of a horse. And Knoxville cut a stencil of a horse penis and spray painted the penis up there and then signed it Van Toffler. And <laughs> it started doing more artwork around town under the nom de plume Van Toffler. Oh yeah. Then we, um, we broke into the, uh, the Paramount office, the oh, MTV right. uh, films office. And we spray painted a mural of me and Knoxville having naked wrestling <laughs> and signed it Van Toffler. <laughs> And then, and then that guy left Paramount. Yeah. And so we wanted that piece of artwork. So we broke back into Paramount with a sawzaw. Our, our shady production designer went in with all of us. We were all dressed in black and we went in and sawed the whole wall. It was huge. The thing was probably 10 feet by 10 feet. And during the day too. During the day. And, and, and the assistants let us in and then they heard the sawing but what we didn't realize is that we didn't check. We, we saw it all through the conduit that was holding all the internet cables. This and, is in the main Sherry Lansing building. And it just shut down the power and the, and like we just saw it right through the power cables and the internet for the whole Sherry Lansing building. And people are coming in. What are you doing? It's like, oh, we're, we're with maintenance. And-, and we couldn't, and then we couldn't get it out because we didn't cut it straight. So all the, the two by sixes that were behind the wall were holding it in. So we had this whole thing sawed out and all the electricity was cut through, but. The thing wouldn't come out, yeah. but we ruined the wall and ruined the two by the, well, we the got framework. The wall eventually, but we, we, but we had to go and then work with security. I'm like, hey, when you take that thing out, we want it, and so we, they gave it to us eventually. Yeah. After all, but yeah. So anyway, Van Toffler <coughs> had and that a, was all in the name of Van Toffler. Yeah, we said Van, he, he Van wants artist. this. He had a great art. He was a great art, <laughs> artist with a great artist career. Um, okay, one more question. The Pogosik and the second scary. question, second part. No, it wasn't hard at all to source the people. The question um, is, were we worried about Aaron's penis? I, and was it hard to get people to hurt Aaron's penis? I wasn't worried about Aaron's penis. Uh, uh, we were just thinking of clever ways to destroy his penis. Um, but the pogo stick was scary. Yeah. And when it pinched it and Aaron was like, we were worried. That it, you know, I usually hold the medic back for a second, but the medic had to go in and feel that he didn't rupture he didn't end up pinching the nut. He pinched the the scrotum to the ground. Luckily, the nut wasn't in there, but it just stomped the skin. So there's a big this, like. This is probably a first for the DGA stage here. This conversation. <laughs> <laughs> but this is what he has to deal with as yeah. a director. He wants but, to. But finding sure. the talent was awesome. Like like uh, PK Subban was amazing. He was so fun to work with. He got it. Uh, Francis Ngannou had no idea what he had signed up for. And he, he came in and he's like, at first he hit him kind of soft. I'm like, no, no, you don't understand. You got to really, he's like, I never hit someone in the nuts on purpose, man. I'm like, I'm like well, this is your chance. <laughs> so, uh, and then he got into it and the softball pitcher was red hot, ready to go. This, so we also, there's actually one more that we didn't show. It's in 4.5. There's a, professional bowler that that was bad so because that was after it wasn't the pogo was last but 
he had done a lot of damage. So, and that was the last one. So they were all swollen and he just couldn't get the cup to sit right. So that's bad. They were all swollen. They were all swollen. Thank you very much for coming tonight. Yeah. Thanks for listening to another DGA Q&A. If you'd like to hear more, The Director's Cut is available wherever you listen to podcasts. And please share, subscribe, rate, and review. We'd love to hear your feedback, and you can help fellow film buffs find the show. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America 